1 John chapter 2, verse 24. It says, Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you so much for that time of worship. We thank you for uh, just the reminder of your sovereignty, Lord, of your power, of your uh, care for your creation, for your children, for your people, Lord. We thank you so much for that. We thank you for the word that you've given us, that you teach us, Lord, that you speak to us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that enlightens our understanding, that uh, teaches us uh, the truth of your word, Lord, and gives us the faith to understand, to hold to, to persevere what you've taught us. And Lord, I pray as we look at these things tonight that you would open the eyes of our heart, Lord, open our ears to understand, um, and that we would... Uh, just hear and obey what you have to teach us tonight, Lord. We thank you so much and ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, this text here, it starts with, therefore. And as good Bible students, of course, we always know when it says, therefore, we have to look at what it's there for, right? So, remembering last week, um, if you were here, if not, we're um, chapter 2, verse 18, um, It starts out, John writes, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. And he continues on talking about the Antichrists um, and the Antichrist and uh, kind of their character, their nature, how they were part of the church but, can't, but didn't continue, didn't abide with them, and went out um, that they would be made manifest that they weren't true disciples, true followers of Christ. Um, and so they would be revealed in that they would separate out apart from the teaching of the scriptures, what the apostles Um, taught as doctrine as they had learned from Christ and as the Holy Spirit led them into um, writing what we have in the New Testament. Um, Then these false teachers, these antichrists, those who would put them or their ideas or their teachings in place of Christ, um, that they would be made manifest by their opposition, their contradiction with what the scriptures taught and teach. Um, And so John is writing that there in this portion here. And so we then see in our verse, verse 24, where he then says, Therefore, because it's the last hour, because there are these antichrists, because of all of these things, um, he says, therefore, let that abide in you. So here's our response. He says, 
little children, it's the last hour. Um, We know as we read the scriptures, that's what the apostles taught, that it has been the last hour since Jesus went up to heaven after his resurrection, right? It has been the last hour, the last days. They have taught this. Um, and, and we read that in John, we read that in Paul, we read that throughout the New Testament. It's been the last days. Jesus has accomplished his work on the cross, um, and that work began this uh, end times that we're living. Of course, we see as we look at Bible prophecy and Revelation and Daniel um, and other portions of Scripture, that there's, of course, a continuing ramping up to the final end times where we look at beginning with uh, the rapture of the church um, and the seven-year tribulation and then the millennial kingdom um, and the final judgment that we see at the end. Um, but the Bible describes the time we're living in as the last time, the last days. Um, and so looking at that with that understanding and knowing that there are those that would come into the church and they had already, they had already showed up, shown up in the church at that point when the apostles were still teaching. Even before the apostles had died, there were antichrists, false teachers teaching. I mean, a lot of the epistles in the New Testament are um, in... Uh, um, I can't think of the word right now, but in opposition to the teachings, the false teachings of these antichrists that had come up. They were, they were combating the, the heresy um, and the twisting of doctrine that was being taught. Um, so, But as John writes, as the Holy Spirit inspired him to write, we know, and as, as he illuminates in our hearts, we can read and see and look at the world around us and know that it's just continued on, if not increased. I mean, the world around us tries to replace Christ with something else. It's happening within the church, even, where Christ is being replaced the Christ of the scriptures is being replaced with something else, right? A Christ who uh, winks at sin or a Christ who uh, is less than God or a Christ who is not man at all, but just a spirit being of God or uh, other false teachings and false doctrines. Or, or maybe it's not they've changed who Christ is by his character or nature, but they teach that he um, taught or believed or his followers should follow things contradictory to what the scriptures teach. Um, and that is the, the nature, the character of the end times, is that uh, Satan in his plans and in his working has um, been since Christ was on the earth worked to subvert the gospel, to subvert the church, to, to, like he did from the very beginning in the garden, to take what God has said and to twist it and to tempt and to deceive. And he's done that from the beginning. And we have that um, from the very beginning. We continue to have that now. And so we have then this reminder here. What's our response? If we're living in the last days, if it's the last hour, um, and if we can look out and see, you know, the end time signs that we see around us, we can say, now we're even closer now. Uh, it's the last hour. What's our response? And that's what John writes. It says, therefore, 
because of these things, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. Our response should be to let the truth of the word of God abide in us. We should be, of course, as always, you hear it from us all the time, be in the word of God, be in the scriptures. We are to be students of the Bible. We're to not neglect what powerful gift that we have been given in the scriptures, the very word of God. We're to be constantly in it, our daily bread, where we're taking part in in portions of scripture each day, praying, asking the Holy Spirit to illumine them in our hearts, in our minds, in our understandings, and seeking to be obedient to them um, as we're reading, as we're studying. And that is what we are to do um, and to continue to be doing as Christians as we look at the times that we're living in, in the last days, is to let the word that we've heard from the beginning abide in us, to to remain in it. Uh, Turn with me to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, it's obviously a well-known portion of Scripture. That's the, the hall of faith where it talks about all of these Old Testament saints um, who were called to be obedient to the Lord, um, and they were obedient, and they walked by faith, not because of their righteousness, but because of who they understood God to be and, and the promises that he made. So look at verse 13. Um, it says, These all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So we have the testimony of these Old Testament saints where they died in faith. They were given promises. They were given a word of promise, but they didn't receive the fruit of that word. But they, they held on to those because of God's faithfulness, and they died in faith. They were assured of them. They embraced them, he says, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And then jump down to verse 39, Hebrews 11. And he, throughout Hebrews 11, the writer continues to give testimonies of those who, who walked in faith with the Lord. Um, verse 39 says, And all these having obtained a good testimony through faith, again, did not receive the promise. And here's the reason why. Verse 40, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So these all died in faith. We have all the stories. If you've been studying the Old Testament, you've looked at all of these people, as Hebrews 11 talks about, they all had these testimonies of walking by faith. And again, not because of them, but because of the Lord. Um, and, and they obtained a good testimony in just remaining loyal, abiding in the promises that God had given to them, not turning away from the Lord. Um, and yet they didn't receive the full promise of salvation because God had something better for us as well. We have received the promise. It hasn't been you know, completely realized yet in us, but we've received the promise, which is eternal life, if we've placed our faith in Christ. The Bible's clear that we've, we've received eternal life by faith in the finished work of Christ. And that is the promise that we have. We have it here and now. 
The Bible teaches us that that as we um, repent of our sins and confess and ask Jesus into our into our lives and to become Lord and Savior of our life, um, that we are now justified. We have the salvation where God now sees us as if we've never sinned, as if we lived the perfect life that Jesus lived. Um, and then we have the work of the Holy Spirit in us that continues to sanctify our our hearts and our lives as we remain faithful in him and as we remain obedient to him we have that purifying sanctifying process where the promise that we have is being worked out in our hearts and our lives and then that part that we haven't yet fully experienced is that glorification where we have uh, no longer the struggle with our flesh and sin where we're glorified uh, and we now are like the Lord, where our, our uh, corruptible bodies have now put on incorruptible, where we have that, that full realization of us being with the Lord forever that we see. That's what we have, the word of promise. Turn back to First John. Verse 24, again, it says, Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. So we're to let the word of God abide in us. In Revelation 3, uh, in the letter to the Philadelphian church, John, or Jesus, is writing um, and telling John to write these things down. Um, He tells them that they are to hold fast to what they have to hold fast, to hold tight, to persevere. We have that command from Christ to persevere, to to, uh, remain in his word, to abide in him. Um, In in Revelation 3, it says, uh, because you have um, obeyed my command to persevere, Jesus says. And that's literally a word of patience, uh, his word of patience, where we're commanded to be patient. Um, we uh, are called to uh, remain faithful in him, to persevere. That's the Christian calling. We, we've been given the promise of salvation. We've been given the guarantee of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. And now we're called to just abide in him, to remain in the word of God, to be obedient to him, um, and, to, and to be loyal to him, to not turn away from him. You know, John 15, 4, Jesus says, he gives us that command, abide in me, he says. 2 Timothy 2, 12, Paul writes, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. Romans 12, 12, 12, it says uh, to be patient in tribulation. 1 Peter 2, 20, it says, when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Hebrews 12.7 says, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. 1 Corinthians 13.7, Love, the character of Christ, the character of the follower of Christ, says love endures all things. And then Luke 8.15, which is parallel to what we looked at on Sunday in Mark, it says the one, speaking of the seed that, that the sower sowed onto the good soil, says the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Keep the word and bear fruit with patience. 
And then Luke 21, 19, Jesus says, by your patience, possess your souls. Right? So we have that over and over again through the scriptures, to be patient, to endure, to, to uh, keep and, and bear the fruit, keep the word of God that we've heard, that we've been taught, and, and bear fruit with patience, to remain in him, to abide in him. Um, just as we have the testimonies in, in Hebrews 11 where they hadn't received the promise, we've received the promise, yet we have more future promises that we haven't fully yet received. Um, if we have the sealing of the Holy Spirit in us, if we have the full revelation of the scriptures before us, how much more evidence, how much more weight do we have to, to just abide in his word, to, to be faithful to him, to remain in him, to be obedient to him? Uh, back in First John, he says, Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. That's just the very character, the very nature of abiding in the Word of God. What we've heard from the beginning is then we abide in the Son and the Father. We have that testimony. Is we're, we're like, being like Christ. We're being obedient to him. We're rightly reflecting him. We're we're in the will of God in our lives as we're abiding, just being simply obedient to the word of God, to walking with him, to to, um, even though we may have doubts, to lay them at the feet of Christ and say, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't understand what your word's saying, or I don't understand why I'm going through these trials, or, or how this is going to all turn out in the end, but you are faithful. You are God. You've promised me that all of these things are in your hand and that you care for me um, more than you care for the sparrow that falls to the ground, that you care for me more than the grass of the, uh, the flowers of the field, um, the birds of the air, all of those things. And because of those promises and because of the promise that we have ultimately of eternal life in him, because of those things, then we choose to abide in him despite what happens, despite what comes to us. And that's what we're called to, is to just abide in him, to walk with him. It's obedience to the word of God that gives us lasting power as Christians, We bear fruit, but we also have that lasting testimony, the legacy, the longevity of walking with the Lord, of not falling away, of not turning our backs on him, of seeing just uh, his faithfulness over and over and over again in our lives. Again, it's not us, it's him. Because as we come to all of these trials that we may face, or if as we come to um, you know, struggles with temptation or all of these other things that we may face, if we give them to the Lord, if we, perhaps if we've given in to temptation, if we then don't walk away from the Lord and let us just take us out of the game altogether, but we turn in repentance to him and come back to him, then we see his faithfulness in our lives. And we have just those those um, marks in our Christian walk that we can look back and say, but God was faithful then. God was faithful there. And, and that's what builds our faith and what establishes us and edifies us in our walk as we move forward. And that's how we bear fruit, is to walk with him. So verse 25, it says, And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. 
John 10, verse 27, it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. There's that obedience. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. That's Jesus' promise that he has is that if we are a sheep, we hear his voice and we follow him. We're obedient to him. And we have that promise, eternal life, where we shall never perish and we can trust that no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand, that we are in his hand and we are cared for and abiding in him. John 17, verse 3, it says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's the eternal life that we experience here and now, is knowing Christ, is knowing God, is knowing the Lord, knowing his faithfulness. And we're called to abide in those promises and walk with him. And we have that promise, that eternal life. Verse 26, it says, These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. So again, we have John, he's repeating this theme here where he's talking about the promises. He's talking about what we're to do as Christians. We're to abide in the word of the Lord. We're to walk with him. Um, And and we're given these promises and these reminders so that we're we're, uh, protected from deception, that we're we're shielded from um, and protected from those who would try to deceive us. Um, and that is that's the remedy. It's simple. You know, we we can look at um, Satan and his what he has for his tools. You know, we looked at a few weeks ago um, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We have the temptation that that we face every day to sin. Um, we have um, even more so just what we look at in the world around us. We have deception all around us. I mean, it's very difficult to tell what the truth actually is when you hear it from outside sources, when you're hearing it from the news or even from books or media or newspapers or all of those things. But it's even difficult to tell it when you're hearing it just from a person you know, to know what the truth actually is. But if we're abiding in the Word of God, then we have that, that remedy for deception. We weigh what we hear the truth that somebody may try to tell us, the truth, the air quotes, truth that somebody may try to tell us, and we weigh it against what the scriptures say. It's plain and simple. If they don't speak according to this word, it says in the Old Testament, there's no light in them. There's no truth. There's no, there's no enlightenment. If it's contrary to what the scriptures teach, then it's false. It's plain and simple. God himself says, let, every man, let God be true and every man a liar right? That, that's the plain and simple of it. And we have his revelation, his word before us. We are to abide in his word. And then we can know, somebody says, here's this great Christian book that I just got that talks about, you know, uh, your way to overcome sin or your, your way to have a better life or, or your way to get out of depression or, or uh, struggling with anxiety or, or the way to overcome temptation. And you have these self-help books. Um, if you take that book and you line it up with what Scripture says, 
If it's contrary to it, that's trash. Throw it out. You know, it may have all these testimonies of people that have practically been helped by this. Yeah, I, I've been set free from addiction to pornography or, or I'm no longer a drug addict or I'm no longer struggling with depression. Pragmatically, practically, maybe they could have a change in their life. But it doesn't line up with what the scriptures teach. And therein lies the deception that Satan tries. And he does that through many different means in many ways. And that's why we always take everything that we hear, that we read, things that we even think that come out of our own hearts. That we might say, I think maybe this is the right thing to do. We take it back to the scripture. And if it doesn't line up with what the scriptures teach, then we need to set it aside And we say, nevertheless, I'm going to walk in obedience to the Lord and to what he said. Uh, It takes the pride out of us, right? It takes the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes out of us. If we take it back to the word of God, if we go back to him, and that's the remedy against the deception. And that's why what John says, I love it because he teaches just the very next verse, he talks about the anointing, which is the Holy Spirit. But he also talks about the word of God. John here, you know, he was writing in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he was writing speaking specifically of the Word of God. He doesn't say the Scriptures, but he says, these things I have written to you. And as we've received them, we know this is Scripture. This is the Holy Spirit saying, what's written here, what's written in the New Testament, what's written in the the entirety of the Scriptures is there so that we have the remedy against deception. And then we have how that is administered by the Holy Spirit in verse 27. It says um, that uh, the anointing, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. So we have the Holy Spirit there, who's the remedy for our deception, who, who administers the remedy through the word of God. Look at uh, 2 John chapter 1. Just turn over a few pages. Verse 7. Again, Paul, or Paul, John here, is uh, kind of repeating what he wrote in 1 John. But he says in verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Then he says, Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, the truth about Christ and who he is, does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deed. So we have that again, the doctrine of Christ that is there. And then we have the anointing, go back to 1 John, the anointing which we have received. Um, Now, this 
word anointing, it's pretty well known that that is referencing the Holy Spirit. We have in the Old Testament the picture of the Holy Spirit with the oil that was put on the high priest or the oil that was anointed onto the king. Um, and, And we see that in this book of Psalms where it talks about the oil that's flowing down over the beard of Aaron. Uh, you have uh, in the New Testament oil being a symbol of the Holy Spirit. What's interesting, though, is with this anointing here, it, it's specifically pointing back to the inauguration of a king. Um, and with the king, this oil was put on the king um, and was actually rubbed into him. It wasn't just poured on, but it was rubbed in, massaged in to where his whole uh, demeanor, his whole, um, uh, you know, um, aspect was essentially glowing with this anointing of oil. And what it was was a symbol of that this man had been prepared to serve the people and the Lord as king, that, that this man was then now um, equipped and prepared to be obedient to what God had taught what God had called him to as king. That was what that anointing was, and it was similar with the priests as well. And when we look now into the New Testament, the New Testament says that we as believers are kings and priests with God. And we have that same anointing where the Holy Spirit now is given to us where it's not just this external experience where the Holy Spirit's poured on us, but the Holy Spirit, you know, it's kind of falls apart, but it's rubbed into us where we're infused, we're soaked in the Holy Spirit. He's a, a person, uh, not just a force. But it's that idea of where we are uh, uh, abandoned to him, we are infused with his presence, with his holiness, and, and where we are now equipped and prepared to be obedient, to serve the Lord as kings and priests, right? To be uh, his... Uh, vessels on the earth for his work to be um, faithful to him and as we're being equipped and prepared the holy spirit that is in us he uses the scriptures to teach us to guide us into the truth to give us again that remedy to deception to uh, empower us to walk in faithfulness to the Lord. That's what the Holy Spirit um, does for us and is in us. Um, here in the Greek it says, where it says, but the anointing, it actually says in the Greek, but as for you, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. In the Old Testament, we see, you know, the, there's that famous Keith Green song, which it goes back to Psalm 51, where David is writing, Let not, uh, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Right? In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon a prophet, in some cases a king like Saul or David, um, in order to do a specific work at a specific time, and then the Holy Spirit would then leave that person. Right? Uh, we see that again with Saul. Uh, and, but here in the New Testament, what is beautiful is that we have the Holy Spirit taking up permanent residence with us where it says he dwells in us elsewhere in the scriptures, it's speaking of a permanent residence within us. And that's what's beautiful is we can grieve the Holy Spirit by our actions, but 
uh, if we've been sealed by Christ, that is the guarantee. It's that that um, engagement ring of promise that we've been given that the Lord won't take away from us. Uh, is his Holy Spirit within us. He takes up permanent residence. And because of his permanence in us, then uh, if we are uh, yielded to the Spirit of God, listening to his urging and his calling in us through the scriptures, then we have uh, that, again, abiding in the word that we've heard from the beginning, that abiding in the Son, abiding in the Father. John 14, 15, it says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Jesus says, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's beautiful. The Holy Spirit, the very presence of God in us, teaching us, guiding us, uh, I think of um, that man that came to Jesus and asked him to do a miracle for him. And Jesus asked the man if he believed. And he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Each and every one of us is in that place in our walk with the Lord. Uh, where we believe, but many times we face things we say, I, I don't really know how this is going to happen. How God's going to you know, pull through on this. What he's going to do here. And that's where the Holy Spirit steps in, interceding on our behalf. And, and, and he, he utters those things that we need in our heart that we don't even know how to pray for. And, and we, uh, in, in just humility, if we ask the Lord, Lord, help us, help our unbelief, then he gives us um, that faith to walk in him. Um, again, it, it may be that doubt that we have at that point, uh, uh, continues to remain there, but we remain loyal to the Lord in that we don't turn our back on Him. And, and then He shows Himself again to be faithful. Um, and, and that's the the beauty of the Holy Spirit is His permanent residence in us. Uh, he dwells with us and will be in us. Second Corinthians one twenty one. it says, Now He who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who has also sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Again, he's the guarantee of the promise that we've been given of eternal life as the Holy Spirit. Look back at First John, he says, But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. So now the first thing with this, this is not advocating for no pastors, for no teachers, right? It says you don't need it, that anyone teach you. We, that would be contradiction, a contradiction to what the scriptures teach already, right? Ephesians four eleven. He gave himself, uh, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, he gave gifts and gave um, a calling for men to be pastors and teachers within the church, right? So that's obviously not what it's speaking of here. 
Now, I don't know about anyone else, but when I placed my faith in the Lord, my IQ didn't increase, right? I didn't all of a sudden have superhuman knowledge and, you know, this brain that could stare at a thing and look at all, see all the inner workings of it and completely understand it. That's not what it's teaching here. It's not teaching that the Christian knows everything there is to know. It's not teaching that we have an added mental ability or any advantage that we have in our faculties over a non-believer. It's not that any new truth is revealed to an individual Christian by the Holy Spirit that's apart from the revelation of scriptures, but this is teaching that truth is seen now in a new light as never before to each of us individually in such a way as to convince us to the truth of what God teaches without a doubt. This also means that the Holy Spirit gives us greater clarity on the truth. Um, I don't know if you've had a conversation with a non-believer trying to talk about spiritual, scriptural things, and many times it's talking to a blank wall, right? The Holy Spirit gives us a greater understanding of spiritual things, of righteousness, of holiness, of sin, of our nature, of the things that God already sees to be true and knows to be true. That's the truth that the Holy Spirit leads us into and teaches us. Um, In the Greek here, it says, uh, if you were to kind of do a literal translation, um, it says, and you do not constantly need that anyone be constantly teaching you, right? So again, this is teaching us, this is telling us that we don't need someone to be constantly holding our hand as Christians, right? We should have teachers, we should be disciples, we should have um, the, the, the scriptures being taught to us and shared with us, we should speak into the lives of other Christians, but we as Christians do not need to have someone be that mediator for truth, be the arbiter of truth for us, the person that said, that we go to. It's not like the shepherding movement, right, where you have an elder over you and say, I want to buy a house, what do you think I should do? And the elder says, no, you shouldn't, or yes, you should, and then you be obedient to that person, right? We're not like the Catholic Church either, where they say that the church itself is the only uh entity that is able to give the true right interpretation of the scriptures, right? Uh, It's not any of those things, right? We have the Holy Spirit in us, and it's the Holy Spirit through the Word of God that teaches us, that gives us that that understanding um, of all things that are related to the scriptures as we persist as we endure, as we persevere in the scriptures. Um, He leads us into all truth. Uh, Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 14. Actually, look at verse 13. It says, These things we also speak, Not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. 
But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's the Holy Spirit. He gives us that understanding. The natural man cannot perceive the things of the Spirit of God. That's why it is so important for us as as Christians, as believers, as we're spending time in the Word, to ask the Holy Spirit to give us illumination, understanding in the Scriptures. Because if we are attempting it in our natural understanding, if we're attempting it in our flesh, if we're attempting these things by that, uh, that just natural logic and understanding, we're going to miss the point, right? It's the Holy Spirit that illumines these things in our hearts and our lives. Um, and it's when we're, we're seeking to be yielded to him that then the Lord teaches us. That's why you can't ever learn the scriptures from cover to cover and have it down pat because there's such depth um, to what the Lord has put in his scriptures and that the Holy Spirit can reveal every time we come to the scriptures. Over and over again, a verse can have something new that the Lord teaches us for us specifically through the Holy Spirit because it's uh, his mind relaying to us the truth that we need to hear at that moment in time when we're studying the scriptures if we're yielded to him. Turn over to John chapter 16. Jesus is speaking to his disciples here, and he's uh, comforting them. He talks about how they will go through trials and tribulation, persecution. He's talking about how he's going to be going away from them. But in verse 13, he says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For, for he will not speak on his own authority, whatever, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you, Jesus says. And that's interesting. There are many churches who are full of Christians who say they have a new revelation from the Holy Spirit that they have something that's new. Uh, You look at churches like Bethel, um, churches uh, like uh, these Word of Faith churches, um, Prosperity Gospel Teaching churches, um, even even other churches that may not be on that spectrum of the whole Pentecostal, charismatic uh, movement side of things, but other churches where they will say that the Holy Spirit has given them a new revelation. But Jesus himself says, He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And we know that the Holy Spirit does not contradict himself. He does not contradict God. He does not contradict Jesus. He does not contradict what the scriptures teach. So again, it goes back to the very beginning of what we were talking about. Anything that we hear, 
even if it comes from somebody who's a pastor, somebody who says they're a prophet of God or has the anointing of the Holy Spirit, if they're speaking, if they're teaching things that are contrary to what the scriptures teach, then it's not truth. And we have been given the Holy Spirit so that we can uh, then weigh and test these things uh, by uh, applying what the scriptures teach and seeking the Lord to give us insight and understanding, the gift of discernment, gift of um, knowledge, all of these things that the Lord can give us to understand and just plain faith in what the scriptures teach, right? Go back to First John. So we see not only do we have the testimony of Scripture, but even if we look at the whole body of Christian experience from Pentecost on, we see how the Holy Spirit has illuminated the truth of God in the lives of men and women who've placed their faith in Him. You see where that last part um, uh, that I talked about there of what this is teaching is um, is that the Holy Spirit is given to us to convince us of the truth of God without a doubt, or he gives us that faith. Um, we have that promise, and as we look throughout Christian history, the book of Acts, um, and, and on, we see that as men and women place their faith in Christ, that the Lord gave them uh, uh, faith that persevered against all odds. And again, it wasn't in them naturally, but it was what the Lord had given them. They were convinced of the truth despite whatever came. And it was what the Lord had given them. The natural man is transformed into a new creation by the work of the Holy Spirit, giving a new, greater understanding and a grasping of the truth of Christ. That is that that seed of the word of God that takes root in our hearts and, and through patience bears fruit. That, that, that grows into a, a fruit-bearing plant. We have the eyes of our heart being enlightened by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we can look at all the testimonies of those that were thought by the world to be foolish as well, um, that the Lord transformed and used powerfully. I think of D.L. Moody, right, who was a cobbler who, who could barely read or write, had limited education, and through the work of the Lord in his heart and his life, he used him powerfully to reach hundreds of thousands of people for the Lord and to give a powerful ministry that even still lasts today. Um, we have, you know, you look at Peter himself, Peter the Apostle, the man who is always putting his foot in his mouth, right? And the Lord used Peter through the Holy Spirit, transformed him, um, and gave him uh, just a, an understanding of the truths that he had already heard from Jesus as he was being discipled by the Lord. And the Holy Spirit brought those things to his mind and, and reminded of them and spoke through him in order to uh, be used by the Lord on the day of Pentecost, where 3,000 souls are saved as he's teaching as the Holy Spirit speaking through him. Um, we have all of those testimonies. The steadfastness of the faith of Christians um, through the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives to help their unbelief uh, is shown in the millions of Christian martyrs throughout the centuries as well, right? We have that testimony of men and women who were threatened with death or deny their faith, right? And it was the Holy Spirit 
in them that convinced them of what the truth was, that taught them that they would, could abide in the word that they heard from the beginning. As they abided in him, they received that promise that they had, even though they were persecuted, even though they were martyred, right? Even though they suffered, all of those things. But as they abided in the word that they heard, the Lord gave them a beautiful, lasting testimony that we have. Um, and that's the same thing that the Holy Spirit has for us as well. If we abide in his word, if we abide in that anointing that we've received, um, and we are staying uh, devoted to what the scriptures teach, being obedient to it, being not just hearers of the word, but doers as well. If we're, if we're being obedient, then we have that lasting fruit, um, and we have the remedy against deception. Says the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, so in that same character, in that same manner, in the same promise that we have that we can see all these evidences for, that same anointing that teaches us concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, uh, it says you will abide in him. and the other versions of the New Testament, they omit that will. Um, in the Greek, it actually says, you should or you shall abide in him. Um, and it's that, that understanding that if we have these promises, if we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, if we have the scriptures, if we have the testimony of his faithfulness as he teaches us, as he illuminates us, as we've done, uh, as we've been obedient to him, then our right response is to continue to abide in him, to just persevere, to, to continue on. Um, uh, in the Greek, it, it would actually be literally translated, be constantly abiding in him, just to continue with him. So our response Abide in the Lord. Abide in the word. That's what we see. Don't walk away from the Lord. Believe on him for his promises and his truth, right? That It's plain and simple. And the times when we face things where we don't understand, where we don't get it, where they seem way bigger than we can ever handle, which everything pretty much is bigger than we can handle ourselves, right? We can ask the Lord, Lord, help us. Give me the faith to Continue on to be obedient to you, right? And the Lord illuminates those things. I'll read a quote here from Hamilton Smith. Um, says, Truly the natural eye can be trained to see marvelous things in the realm of nature. The ear can enjoy entrancing sounds, and the heart of man be moved by the deepest human emotions. But even so, there is a whole world of blessing and glory which lies entirely outside the range of the finest natural intellect. I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But to the people of God, these things have been revealed by the Spirit of God. This, however, is a closed world to the natural man. For unless born of the Spirit, no man can even see the things that belong to the kingdom of God, much less enter that fair kingdom. We have such beautiful promises, gift of the Holy Spirit. We dare not neglect that gift that God has given us. 
Um, how often do we wake up in the morning and just start our day and, and go through our daily grind without stopping and praying and asking the Lord to fill us with his spirit? Um, I can say I'm guilty of that many times um, where I can get halfway through my day and realize I haven't even prayed or asked the Lord to really give me uh, the uh, illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. Um, we need to be uh, on our guard in these last days. Deception is increasing um, all around us. And not only just deception, where it's the deception from the outside, but temptation is increasing. I mean, you can see it in the world around us. Uh, I think the mask is being pulled off of the world for us as believers, where we see the wickedness uh, of all of these institutions that surround us, our governments, the medical institutions, education, um, the media, uh, even churches, uh, these well-known megachurch pastors or Bible uh, or uh, Christian authors, all of these men and women and institutions and everything where uh, the, the spiritual wickedness is being kind of shown to be true. And shown to be there and being a parent. We see that. And I believe that's a gift that the Lord is giving us in these last days for us to see that big contrast. But again, there, there is that danger for us that uh, temptation is increasing. Right? It's all around us. Uh, temptation for sin. Temptation to um, be distracted. Temptation to be overwhelmed. Temptation to be uh, in fear all the time. All of these things that Satan is just working full time because I believe he knows his end is coming quickly, right? Um, And we know the Lord is coming soon. And just as in his first coming, we saw the spiritual forces of Satan that were kind of ramped up as we saw demon possession and we saw all this demonic activity when Jesus Christ came in his first time. I think we're seeing an increase of that even now as he's coming again sooner. Um, And we uh, as Christians are the target of that. If Satan can take us out of the race that's what he wants to do. If he can ruin our testimony, that's what he wants to do. But we as believers, we need to be in the word of God, plain and simple. I mean, it's, it, 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 it can seem difficult sometimes, but it really truly is simple. And it's a, it's a discipline where we get up and we just spend time in the word of God. We set aside distractions. I mean, I think we maybe all need to consider the phone in our pocket, the TV, the music, in our car, right? The radio stations that are on, shut them off. Put them away and get out our word, the word, God's word, and spend time in it and ask the Holy Spirit to teach us, to illuminate uh, the things in our heart that we haven't given up, surrendered to him, or the things that he wants to strengthen and to to just walk with him in obedience And if we're doing that, then what we face in our lives, the temptation, the persecution, the trials that we may face, the world that's getting darker, all of those things, we will be able to face them, not because of us, again, but because God's faithful and he's implanted in our hearts his word. 
and his truth and his Holy Spirit that has sealed us and gives us then that faith to just abide in him, to walk in him. And that's what he's called us to, to just let that abide in you, as John says, what you heard from the beginning, to let it abide in us. He's given it to us already, and we're then to just let it grow in us as we remain in him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would continue to speak to us. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that is just simply in your word. Uh, Lord, there uh, can be so many things that can sidetrack us, even when it comes to trying to understand doctrine or eschatology or uh, looking at current events or even just what a church should look like or how a Christian should live. Um, when we can get so caught up in in what man thinks or what uh, other people say, uh, when you've called us to just simply be obedient to your word. And I pray that we would be a church that is simply obedient to what your word has to say, that we may not fully understand it, we may not see the big picture, Lord, but that Uh, when we're confronted with things, we would say, this is what God's word says. And we would uh, err on the side of being obedient to the word of God, however foolish we may appear to be, however wrong the world or even other uh, people may say we are, Lord, that we would be just simply faithful to your word, Lord. I pray that we would be a church that's filled with your spirit as well. Lord, we've all been gifted with the Spirit of God within us, Lord, transforming us, making us into that new creature in you. But, Lord, there also is that um, upon experience of being empowered in our obedience to you, to just be faithful, to bear fruit, Lord, to be uh, obedient to you. And I pray that we would all um, seek that each day, to be refreshed by your spirit, to be renewed by your spirit, Lord, to be empowered by your spirit. And we ask that, Lord, that you would do that for us. We thank you again so much for your word. I pray that you would bless the people here tonight. In your name, amen.